Well, welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. I am really excited about today's episode. Uh, I am here. My name's Nate. I'm here with Sung Kim, who's the lead pastor of Grace Church. Um, and uh, we've been spending time in this podcast talking about our life's rhythms and seasons and stages. And uh, we have gotten all the way through all the seasons of the year. We've gotten through daily, weekly, you know, seasonal rhythms. And we've gone through all the stages of life up to where we are today, which is adulthood. Adulthood, right? yep. And the, the main framework of these stages is just to say that not only are they chronological, you know, in terms of your age, but also your emotional development and also aspects of your spiritual development. Right. So we've kind of talked about how that works from infancy all the way up through adulthood, and here we are. Yes, adulthood. Eric, and we've been using the framework of the psychologist Eric Erickson, just because, again, I think his language is really accessible and it's, it's um, really timely. So adulthood, he uh, lays out somewhere from the ages of 35 to 65. Okay. And so that's where we both fit in. Yep. I'm not going to tell you where, but we're in there somewhere. I'm very close to the 35. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're on the bottom end. <laughs> But Erickson would say this is a stage where you either go towards the path of generativity or the path of stagnation. Okay. And so uh, we're going to unpack that. Like oftentimes we think of this stage uh, like of middle age. And, you know, when, when you talk about middle age, there's usually a, a collective groan like, oh, right? Yeah. Like, like, oh, I'm over the hill. But it's, spir- the, it's the groan of me trying to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Put on my socks. That's right. But um, spiritually, this is actually the stage where people seek like the inner growth of wholeness that is very different from, let's say, adolescence or even young adulthood. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, Eric Erickson, who we're using this framework from, he he so admired uh, this stage and and admired. uh, He actually wrote a whole book on Gandhi because he admired kind of the turning point uh, that when Gandhi entered adulthood that it took in his life to go towards generative care. Right. And so he outlines how uh, Gandhi won independence from the British, not through violence and outer strength, but actually through compassion and inner strength. So can we define the term generativity a little bit? Yeah. So generativity is like, you know, there's a care that you have, that goes t- towards others, and I would even say beyond your own family members, mm. but it's like towards others, towards a stranger, towards friends, towards difficult people, and it's not just care for them, but it's also a, a longer-sighted care for future generations and the world in which you're going to leave for the future generation. Okay. And so th- there's a sense of giving life, yeah. generating life. Yeah. And so it probably encompasses things we'd be familiar with, like compassion, empathy, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's also sort of a long-term, sort like not just in the moment, but like you said, for future generations and what. It's kind of a long-term yep. uh, focus. Yeah, yeah. Like the Talmud, which is kind of the Jewish rabbinic teachings, uh, they have a saying like three things that you should do in the course of your life. One is have a child, two is plant a tree, and three is write a book. Basically, you know, long-term generativity things. Okay. Now, for those of you who aren't parents or, or uh, are there either aren't at that stage or unable to, like this goes beyond just having children, like f- biological children. This is generativity. If you're a teacher or a mentor yeah. or you're passing something on to the next generation, serving in Sunday school or some or that's anything right. like that. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, on the opposite end is stagnation. 
uh, where, and this is where the term midlife crisis comes up, right? Because uh, you have forfeited any sense of your own contribution to life. Mm. You feel like you have, like you, you've you've climbed the ladder of success. You got got to the top, and you're like, I don't have anything. I am. I don't. I'm. I'm not anything. Okay. And so, have you ever had a midlife crisis? Uh, no. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I will say that I'm in an interesting stage of life where I'm realizing that there are things that I thought I would accomplish that mm-hmm. I'm never going to accomplish. Um, and I, there is some mourning in that, but it certainly hasn't put me into a crisis. Yeah. I thought I would be a much better musician at some point in my <laughs> life than I actually am a better guitar player. I thought I would like learn to play the piano or, um, so there are still those, there are those things that exist, uh, and that is new. I mean, again, okay. I would say probably in like my twenties and thirties, I really felt like all these things that I want to do, I'll have time. And this is the first season of my life where I've started to feel like I, I might have the time, but I certainly <laughs> I don't have the energy, <laughs> you know, like I'm just, I don't have, I don't have the focus to become, uh, extremely and we've talked about my need to perform at a high level extremely <laughs> proficient in sort of all these areas yeah right? yeah uh, but i wouldn't call it a, a crisis right and if it makes you feel any better you are much better of a musician than you give yourself credit for <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but like midlife crisis it's like this feeling of like you know i had these dreams and they never got fulfilled and I'm not going to do the things I really want to do. And your life feels like you're on a treadmill, like you're just going through the motions. And none, of, n- almost nothing you do is actually life-giving. Or the sense of like, I'm not leaving a mark on anything. And when I go, and time and energy and is running out, when I go, like, what legacy will I leave? Yeah. And it creates a sense of, like, stagnation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, that resonates with me because, and I, I've been pretty... Uh, transparent about the fact that I talk to a therapist regularly. I find her to be a really, really helpful voice in my life. But just this very week, I was asking her, and this has kind of been a multi-month conversation, who am I if I'm not what I do? You know, for again, for someone who's a high performer and competent in lots of areas, to, to kind of reach this point in my life and say, wait a minute, like I can't do all the things that I used to do. I, so for perfect example, I injured myself, I bruised my ribs and, uh, like a week ago and it has literally had me on the couch for a week and all the (laughs) things that I normally do around my, around the farm, I've been unable to do. My wife is out there like hauling water for the pigs, you know? Yeah. And so I've been asking, literally, I mean, call it a mini midlife crisis, <laughs> but I, I kind of see the future ahead of me, which is like, if I can't do these things for other people, if I can't continue to excel or perform, then who am I? Yeah. You know, and again, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but that certainly is the, the track my brain is running on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and in fact, midlife crisis is actually misnamed because it it can actually happen anytime. And like you said, you know, mini crises. Sure. Or like a quarter life crisis. Yeah. That's kind of a familiar mm-hmm. one. Yeah. In fact, uh, statistics bear out that 20% of people never have a midlife crisis. Um, I, I kind of fall under that. Although, you know, I had, I had a midlife crisis for maybe half a day when I turned 45. Because <laughs> okay. I said to Amy, like, because she was like, when you turned 40, did you have a midlife crisis? I'm like, no, man, 40 was fine. And I'm like, 45? And again, I don't know why. This is just some imaginary thing. I'm like, you know, Amy, that's like halfway through my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to die when I'm 90, you know? So 45 yeah. just for me, like, 
And then the next day, I'm like, yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> it's interesting because for me, it isn't actually tied to my chronological age, but the couple things did happen. One was that before I was injured, we had like a wood splitting day out on the farm and I couldn't keep up with my 20 year old son <laughs> for the first time. He just like, I was gassed and he just was still pulling wood off the pile and splitting it. And I was like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. fa- I'm fading, I'm fading. Right. And this is most common in the forties, but again, it can happen anytime. Cause you know, you realize you're not growing up anymore. You're growing old. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you're growing you sideways for some of us. That's right. You got curves in all the wrong <laughs> places, right, man. Uh, but you not only count birthdays, but you imagine how many you have left. Yeah. And, uh, and and kind of what you're saying, you consider projects based not in terms of how many how long it'll take, but it, whether you have the energy yeah, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so the good news is uh, crisis is normal. The bad news is you may have more than one. <laughs> Great, thanks. Well, that's all for today. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Well, you know, uh, so when it comes to uh, generativity and stagnation. The, the one thing that I, I want to talk about, because again, it's like, well, you know, uh, we've talked about this, like how the first half of your life, if we could divide it into two halves, like the first half is like, you're, you're almost like trying to prove yourself mm-hmm. to yourself, maybe even to say, yeah, I, I, you know, you're discovering what you're good at. You're discovering your place in the world. And I think part of that transition happens in adulthood where, you know, you, a lot of those things kind of fade away and you become more comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And, and so sometimes I, and Amy and I talk about this all the time. I know you and your wife do too, but like, uh, again, people often think of midlife as kind of like, Oh, but we're like, yeah, man, we're, we're, we're glad to be growing old together. Yeah there is something that happens that you just can't capture in your twenties that happens in your forties. There's a wisdom and probably one of the most often quoted thing I say at home is like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, um, how youth is wasted on the young. I was going to say the exact same (laughs) quote because I said that to my son before he went back to college, you know, like just if I knew, if I knew then what I know now, you know, if I could literally, he was working shirtless in the cold because it's just his body just is a machine that doesn't stop. Right. And I'm like, ah, if I had that kind of energy and this kind of knowledge, what, like, how would my life be different? But I feel that I feel that, but it's also a season and this is a big transition where your life will either turn take a turn for stagnation and you will just be unproductive. And we'll talk about this next week. When you get to old age, it leads to despair. Mm. Or a, a life of generativity where you're caring for others um, and your life just continues to burn brighter and brighter. Where does that where does that division take place? Like what is it that causes some people to engage in regeneration or uh, generativity rather and some that kind of maybe collapse upon themselves and get stagnant like uh, not th- not that it's as simple as a toggle you know yeah. one way or the other but what are some of the things that go into moving in one of those directions well I, I will say this for me personally and again like uh, uh carol i think her name is carol gilligan i think that's her name she's an american psychologist and she says this and, and i i'm gonna relate this to kind of my own experience she says that women actually like the shift for women, and this is broad generalization, tended to uh, go from caring for uh, the others' needs in the first half of life, so okay. children, and then they make the shift into like adulthood or the second half of life when they start to care for their own needs. Okay, and for men, it's actually the opposite. They begin with caring for their own needs, and so, i.e., career. Okay, um, you know, and only later do they learn to start to care for 
people and things beyond themselves. So in some ways, it, and again, it's not as simple as no. a toggle, but if, if we are unable to make that switch or to see the other side of it, let's say, to put some nuance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to both appreciate the need to care for others and to care for self, that could potentially lead us into stagnation. So for example, if a, if a man continues to only care for himself right. as he enters middle age, That's right. he's going to this is horrible. He's going to buy a sports car. You know what I mean? He's going to get the hair plugs. Like he's going to yeah. start hitting the tanning booth. Like potentially that is, and all of us would look at someone kind of a stereotypical example and call that stagnation, right? That sort of midlife crisis. We would understand this guy is not moving in the direction that right. someone of his age should move. Yeah. Um, and so then I guess perhaps for, it's harder for me to put myself in the mindset of a woman, but if she doesn't ever care for herself, if she doesn't learn to develop her own inner life or see yes. the value of that, she will maybe kind of spend herself and sort of diminish in terms of feeling underappreciated or mm -hmm. bitter or yes. some of those things that will... that. Okay, so that makes sense to me. I think I got it. I think I got it. Yeah, and so, you know, again, this is where, like, you enter into a deeper level of solitude and prayer and reflection and even, like, relationships with other people. Um, like, you, like, this stage of life, I know definitely I, I have a much smaller circle of friends, uh, but it's a different level of friends. And, and, and even recreation looks different. Hobbies and, and things that you enjoy uh, look very different. And so I, I know for me, like... Um, when I was in my twenties, I, 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 and I still score pretty high. I was, I was off the charts extrovert. Like I hated ever being alone. And now like both because of, I have to, because of preparing sermons and studying and reading, like people actually mistake me for an introvert. Yeah. Um, and I'm a lot more, I say a lot less. Like if you think I talk a lot, man, you, you <laughs> should have seen you 20 years ago. <laughs> or you don't know all the things I don't say. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> Not only that, but I'm like high off the charts, like thinker, right? I, I, I logic reason. And in this stage, like tapping more into my emotions and feelings and being open with my feelings and uh, being in touch with them. And so really developing a whole other side of myself, like that's more nurturing, that's more affectionate that like typically for, for someone wired like me, that is not normal. But again, when you enter into this phase, like you, you embody that, lean into that because there, there's a, there's a life-giving thing that happens to you. And because of that, it kind of overflows and you're be, you're able to be generative to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I think uh, one thing to consider, you know, sometimes the question comes up, well, how do you balance self-care and caring for others? Mm. Cause it's not just like, you know, giving everything away. Right. It's not either or. And I think that's part of what we've, we've talked about is that in some ways this stage is where you begin to realize that both sides are necessary or you realize it in a new way. So yeah. how, do you, how do you, how do you, how do you manage that balance? Yeah. You know, cause again, and I'll call this, Erickson doesn't call it this, but I'll call it like hypergenerativity actually gets really destroyed while, while, you know, you just give and give while neglecting yourself. And that leads to burnout. And, and uh, again, for some, it, it leads to like smothering other people. Uh. <laughs> That's actually a, a sign of hypergenerativity, okay. unhealthy generativity. You know, so if, if your mother-in-law is that, that way, <laughs> uh, not yours, Nate, not yours, not mine either. <laughs> But but it leads to it comes out of a sense of having an empty inner life, because you're there's nothing generating out of that. And so, uh, you know, one thing that's super interesting, um, 
that I read a while ago was uh, there's a uh, a community Larsh Henry Nowen was a part of that um, and, and you you you've heard of that right yeah yeah absolutely um, Again, I, I don't want to like harp on this but I was just talking to my therapist my therapist about that this week so once you explain it I'll explain where that was coming from yeah no uh, go ahead I I'm curious about your story well I mean essentially for me it came back to the question of who am I if I'm not what I do and she used the example of Henry Nowen as saying. Like in that community, Henry Nowen w- w- couldn't be an educator. He couldn't yeah. be a teacher because it was a community that's specifically set up to, to care for uh, and embrace people with developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. So all of his highfalutin thoughts on prayer and the presence <laughs> of God, they just there wasn't a place for them to land. So who was he? He, he still had to be someone. He still had something to give, but it wasn't his skills uh, – <coughs> Excuse me. It wasn't necessarily his skills or mm-hmm. his intelligence. It was his presence. And so I was talking to her about that in terms of saying, I need a new way as I enter into this phase of life to be and and to give of something that isn't merely my skills. So that's that's how mm-hmm. we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, so in that community. They, they, they say one of the things that you need uh, to like is friendship, at least one friend where you could share everything with. Okay. But the thing that they found, which I found so fascinating, is that if all you, if you're in a community and it's just a, a friend or just friendships, that that actually will stagnate too. Hmm. That you actually need a difficult person. <laughs> In that community. That's why I'm in your life, son. <laughs> that's why. That's why I'm here. Is that why? <laughs> that's right. To spur you on towards love and good works. God, take this thorn away <laughs> from me. Right. No, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> because, because what that does is, is it calls forth from your inner being a sense of unconditional love. And, and if it's just friendship... Right? It's almost like easy and convenient. Yeah. There's a sense of it's just so natural. You never need to grow, you, essentially. Yeah. Right? And so if you, if you want to, it, so g- growing in generativity requires that in your life. That is so interesting that you would say that. I actually have, I, I've talked to my wife about this, but I, I had uh, a church member, and I won't say who it is, so if you're listening, it could be you, that I found particularly <laughs> challenging on Sunday mornings, and I actually had in my head a test, which is like, if I cannot be kind to this person on a Sunday morning. To sung? Yeah, right? <laughs> it was sung. Uh if I can't be kind to this person, that is a clear marker that something about my internal, spiritual, mental, emotional life is out of balance because mm-hmm. this person just required kindness. That's mm-hmm. what they required. That's what they were asking for. They weren't asking for me to do anything. They were looking for kindness and friendship. And I found it very, very hard to give, especially on a Sunday morning where I had a million things I was trying to accomplish. Right. And so I just had this internal test. Can I be kind to this person? If I can't, I need to stop because something something is wrong. I'm doing I'm doing things at the expense of of being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That man, that's so good. Uh, I think, <laughs> you know, I'm going to say two things that seem opposite, but they're both true. One is the, mo- the person most difficult to love is the person most different from you. Right. And the person most difficult to love is the person most similar to you. Yes. That's the one you resonate with, isn't it? <laughs> it is, man. It is. Tell, tell, tell me why. Well, I, I think uh, for me, 
I'm gonna have to think about that a little oh, bit. But okay. there's there's something about it that just feels like um, when when I can't. Uh, it's almost like all of my strategies don't work against someone who's just like me. Cause like, you know, we're doing them right against each other, you know? (laughs) And I've, I've had this experience where, uh, actually it was with, with, uh, parenting my, uh, my younger son who I love dearly, but when, but he was a child that, well, with my first two kids, cause they were kind of chill. If I sort of amped up the pressure, if I kind of escalated a little bit, I could get them to sort of obey he, I realized, was like me, incredibly stubborn. And when I escalated, he would just escalate too. And we would just like go back and forth. I'm like, this doesn't work. Like all of my strategies that I've used to parent these other two kids, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You know? And he, one time we have a video of him actually falling asleep at the table because he refused to take one bite of one piece of orange. And here's the thing. He loved oranges. He was just he was just like, he determined as like a little kid, like, I am not going to do that. And the more you ask me to, the less I'm going to do it. And so we have, we videoed him literally dozing off holding this orange because he refused. And that, like, digging in my heels is my tried and true strategy for, for getting things that I want. Yeah. And with him, it just did not work. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. I mean, th- this is true both of these things are true for me in very different ways like people who are most difficult to love that are similar to me it's not that I have a hard time loving them like externally in fact those are the people I get along with really well but there is sometimes with some of them it's like boy this person is just really self-absorbed and cocky (laughs) and then (laughs) it's cracking me up God whispers in my ear you know and because I'm like man it just stinks to high heaven and and God is like, why are you so familiar with that oh, smell? Oh man, I, that's the truth. I mean, sometimes we so easily see our own sins reflected in other people, and that yeah. makes it really hard, really yeah. hard for us to deal with. At the same time, for me, like because like people who are so different from me, like my wife is very different. Uh, you're very different. In fact, you two are probably a lot easier to love than a lot of other I people. I can't stand your wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Amy, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. But like some, it's a, it's it's a, at a very different level, and it, like Amy and I will have this conversation all the time. It's like, what you you don't think this way? Mm, yeah. Like, how do you not think this way? Right. So it's a lot more external. Yep. Whereas the other one, it's it's so internal. I secretly judge people, mm, you know, yeah. who are very much like me, and so it's interesting because um, the author of uh, the book The Road Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck. He has this one section in the book where he talks about four different levels of community. And I think this is really fascinating, especially when it comes to our society and just wh- who the church is called to be. But he, he talks about the first level of, uh, of, of community. He calls it pseudo-community, where people kind of pretend that everything's okay and they avoid conflict. It's like the honeymoon phase of sorts. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes, I mean, church on a Sunday morning could be like this. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, great. You know, yeah. and their marriage is falling apart. Yeah. Pseudo, pseudo-community. But then the second level he calls chaos, where people express differences, but they try to, like, defeat the other side. I mean, it's just outright warfare. Um, The third one he calls emptiness, which is interesting because it's where people put aside their ideologies and prejudices in order to understand the other side. Um, And I would even say, like, that's where society today is trying to get to. Right. Yeah. Like, OK, hey, let's put 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 aside our ideological differences. Let's try to understand and work together. Yeah. But that's not even the highest form of community. Mm. Uh, the fourth level, which is just true community, is where people with differences 
are accepted and loved, even though they may not always be liked. Wow. And that's where the church is called to be, right? And this is where both the the sense of uh, caring for yourself and caring for others being generative really comes into into play. Um, That's that's only possible when uh, you're in a community where you have people of generativity. Yeah, and you and you can't you can't engage in that kind of community if you're not sort of engaging healthily in this stage and seeing the push pull of sort of inward journey, outward journey. Yeah. yeah. I've heard it explained. That's one of the things as we're talking about this, that strikes me that this sort of transition from young adulthood to engaging in a healthy form of adulthood is so often what we're calling people to or inviting people to when we're talking about a life of faith or a life that follows Jesus, which is that all of these elements of, 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 being willing to pour yourself out and, and the understanding of the need for there to be a strong internal sort of focus and growth and attention um, to give of yourself. You know, all these things kind of come into play. And so I think it's helpful to remember that this isn't just a, a, like a chronological stage, right. you know, but as you grow as a person of faith, as you are learning from Jesus and spending time with Jesus, the goal is that you're able to bring these things in, even if it's not fully formed, even if it's not, you know, complete or as good as, as someone else is doing it, but you're bringing these elements of adult faith into your relationships and into your life. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, the, the, I think the importance of balancing uh, both caring for yourself and caring for others. Right. And so like, um, <clears throat> uh, well, not, not just uh, religious teachers, but psychologists and sociologists would say like, a, as it relates to this phase, like you need to be receiving love. Let, let's say from you, you need a friend's love or you will not have love to give to a difficult person in your life. Yeah, that's so good. If you're trying to lo- love a difficult person from an empty heart, uh, it just backfires. Yeah. It does more harm yeah. than good. And that's like what you were saying, where you not only, uh, you know, from the large community, not only do you need a friend who is that support for you, but you also need the challenge if you're going to be growing the way that... R- it, it is possible. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And so, you know, where do you start? Um, you could start whatever, however old you are, no matter what f- phase or stage of life you're in. Uh, you know, so how do you start caring, right? Uh, you, I mean, I, I would say one thing for you to consider is just reach out uh, where you have received healing yourself. Mm. So, for example, like... Uh, there, there's a, a couple, there's numerous couples in the church, but one couple in particular I'm thinking about in the church who have gone through the process of grieving the loss of a child. Yeah. And, and since then, they've, they've had another child. But when I was talking to him recently, he was like, yeah, you know, Sung, we just have a passion to help other grieving parents. Yeah. Because, you know, people will say things like, oh, you know, it's so great that this new child, you know, uh, you know, like almost as if like the pain of losing the other child is, is, is gone now. Right. And, and it just never goes away. And, and so for him, for them, it was just like where they have started to receive healing it is where God is really using them to reach out to others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is true of people who have experienced sexual abuse as well, too. You know, and this is true of of counselors, pastors, you know, like, I mean, honestly, for me too, like, uh, you know, and I've said this in previous podcasts too, like, there's a reason why uh, the, the name of the church is Grace, because growing up, I, I, it was a high performance uh, kind of environment. Yeah. 
And so grace just like invaded my life and turned my life upside down. And it was so like instrumental in my healing and salvation that it was just like, this is who we are. Yeah. Can we, can we take a short detour because yeah. uh, into the realm of retirement? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of on the edge of this, right? If yeah. this is 65, but one of the things that you said reminded me of that where it's like when you re- retirement can also be sort of um, a, a turning point. For people, yeah. right? Kind of like where they have the opportunity to either think generatively right. or to kind of stagnate. And and I would say that that on average, most people think about retirement as an opportunity to kind of like regress, to kind of do all the things that you never had a chance to do. You work your tail off and then finally you can sort of pull back into where where you wanted to be this whole time. But there's another yeah. way to do it. And that's kind of some of the things that you're talking about, which is that a lot of people find um, incredible fulfillment in retirement as they think generatively yeah. and as they begin to pour out in areas where they have found healing or even success. You right. know, guys that retire from business and find an opportunity to be a business mentor. You know, mm-hmm. um, all of those things suddenly become available in a new way. And I, I love the challenge of that to think of retirement, not as finally an opportunity. We're not even going to talk about whether or not retirement is like a good idea or, <laughs> we're, but I'm just saying most people are going to retire at some point. Mm-hmm. And when they do, there is an opportunity to begin to pour out in a new way. Yeah. You know, uh, and we'll talk about this next week, but under Erickson's framework in old age, the, the, a bifurcation is one of integrity. Mm. So it's not like we lack integrity, but like, just think about that. Like who you are and what you give is one. Yeah. Like there is no inauthenticity in there. It's full of integrity. Mm. And so if you live a life of uh, generativity, it leads to one of integrity in old age. At the same time, if your life is veering towards stagnation in old age, he would call it despair. Yeah. And man, we know a lot of people in old age that's just full of despair. So I'm just going to say this, like my two grandmothers are a perfect example of those sort of, of that division. I'll save it for the next episode, but it's, it's almost textbook. Oh man. All right. You got to join us next week (laughs) when we talk about Nate's two grandmothers. (laughs) That's right. Hopefully they're not listening. So any, any, any parting words for us, Sung? Uh, no, uh, no. (laughs) i'm stagnated now we're we're tired we're worn out well look it's been almost half an hour thank you so much for uh for taking this time to be with us and again the encouragement is simple look for ways to both sow into your inner life and in turn pour that out on people that are easy to love and on people who are incredibly difficult to love we won't name names hope to see you back here next week thanks so much